Digital. Student-centered. Creative. Innovation. Imagination. Initiative. Stories that matter. I'm Joan Sutherland, and this is Tales of Teaching Online, brought to you by Deakin Learning Futures. Hello and welcome to Tales of Teaching Online. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Christopher Scanlon, who is a Senior Lecturer in Communication at Deakin University. And we're going to be talking about the the different um, teaching and learning tools he's using in his team uh, teaching for engagement primarily. Hi, Chris. How are you today? Hi, Joan. I'm very well. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself to get started? Um, So... I joined Deakin in 2020, just before the um, pandemic hit, which wasn't the greatest time. A great time, (laughs) I was going to say. But prior to that had been, and I've been working in journalism education for about um, 10 years, um, but I've had kind of, I I went into journalism, started teaching journalism at La Trobe. kind of moved into associate dean academic roles and then roles in the deputy vice chancellor academics office um both at La Trobe and then at Swinburne and then really wanted to come back to teaching so um and I really wanted to go also into an environment that was doing online teaching um as standard business rather than you know something off to the side or a, a specialty boutique Uh, company did as happens at some universities so um, I was really wanting to come back to teach journalism and to do it in university like Deakin does that and you're in the right space for that with putting online first which is good absolutely Uh, so you've had a wealth of experience in journalism by the sounds of it and then you've come from the teaching perspective at Deakin so what is it that you're using in your teaching in relation to teaching and learning teams for engagement um, well, quite a few tools. So, well, I teach production units, so um, podcasting and audio journalism and video journalism. So those two units, as well as at the postgraduate level, multimedia storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. So all of them, as you can imagine, require different pieces of software and, and students getting comfortable with different pieces of equipment. So one of the things, for example, in video journalism, I try and do up front to get engagement and as an icebreaker mm-hmm. is use... Um, the Microsoft tool where students can sort of upload a video and it's sort of quick, you know, a me in a minute kind of thing where I get them to introduce themselves to the class. And, um, you know, and, and to try and start off the trimester with them actually creating a video because that's what they're going to be doing throughout the, the unit. So mm-hmm. let's get them going on that. And it's not, there's no assessment or not any kind of, you know, there's no kind of feedback on that um, given. It's not just to get them kind of, creating a video first up so we kind of set the tone that the unit is in fact practical so yeah and doing that video do you find that it builds a sense of connection between the cohort and the students and yourself and the students or is it mainly just to get used to a different form of media you know, I found it worked really well during the pandemic um, yep. because you weren't, didn't have the opportunity to come in and meet each other in person. I found that was there was a lot of engagement mm-hmm. um, and see that students had watched each other. I reckon, I, I suspect, well, I, I think the reason, it could be just the cohort, but mm-hmm. I think the, um, it, there was a bit of a drop-off after the pandemic. Maybe some of the novelty of that had worn off, you know, kind of <laughs> what not another video <laughs> or uh thing i had to do but um but uh, you know i'm going to persist with it because i think it's a good one to get students going yeah and 
Particularly in cloud cohorts, I find that still works well, like the and as well and postgrad, where there's often in postgrad cohorts, at yeah. least in our neck of the woods, there's not any expectation you're ever going to come on campus. So the students are quite, you know, used to that, and they 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 use that um, that opportunity. Okay, so you mentioned um, flip. Is that something that you use throughout the trimester, or do you use different other uh, tools for video? Um... I have used it um, in an assessment piece um, yep. in previous years, where the students needed to do a pitch, and so they needed to. And this was actually in audio journalism, so they had to pitch their story. And again, we would have. I've sort of slightly changed this, but one during the pandemic, it was really useful to use to get students to create a pitch. And then part of the, the pitching process was that they then had to go and provide feedback to another other students, at mm -hmm. least one, uh, on their story idea and their idea for a, a podcast audio feature. So the students had to create a you know, five to six minute um, audio feature, including music, interviews, um, you know, sound effects if, it, if um, needed. Uh, but they also had to pitch that idea and the idea was that they would get some feedback and students would go, yeah, yeah I kind of know what you're doing with this, have you thought about, or it was, this seems really kind of unfocused, I reckon the story that you, you know, the, the one that really sparked my interest was this. And so you try and give students a bit of guidance about, you know, providing that productive feedback as well. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you're looking at the purpose first and then choosing the tool after that. You mentioned mm. around the audio feature and podcasting. So um, obviously that's what you're teaching. How, how have the students adopted the different tools and have they been able to do that effectively and have they been engaged in that process? Yeah, they have. And we do a couple of things. So we use Audacity which is a free digital audio workstation mm. so it's it's a great little editor um the university has access to adobe um audition which is mm -hmm. the the bells and whistles but um I, unfortunately not every student can access that being off campus so we kind of use audacity um mm. but the other thing i get the students to do is to then upload their stories to soundcloud um yes. so and they put that content out there and that might be a I've, I've now moved to having a podcast trailer so rather than pitching the idea we do the pitch in the form of a trailer um yeah. and they have to produce like you know this is this is the podcast and this is the story that's going to sell the podcast and they upload all of those to um or so it's a soundcloud um to kind of have that spew, that work out there and they can unlist it they don't have to have, mm. to have it come okay up published it. yeah 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 but it's kind of a publication publication outcome yeah. So with that, is that does that form part of their portfolio? I suppose professional portfolio going out into the workforce after studying at Deakin as well. Or yeah, yeah. So that's that's the idea. We want the students to kind of have that content out there, and the best of the content gets up on. We encourage the students to put the put them forward for um, consideration by Describe. That's D S C R I B E dot net dot yeah. which is our journalism showcase. Um, so we put the best of them out there, and with the um, with the podcast stories, uh, the the sort of national version of Describe, which is called the Junction Journalism, um, we they have a podcast that comes out every month, and Deacon produces the December version of that, the December episode. So right. we get the best of all the audio output out of our um, students, and make a half hour podcast out of that. So that's pushed out there as well on that platform yeah. to encourage students to, you know, again, showcase their work and have that content out there that they can point, show to an employer and say, look, you know, my work was featured on done. this. 
Wow. Isn't that a great outcome, especially for the world of work and actually going in doing work integrated learning and actually what they're actually going to go into the workforce and do. I wonder with that, like having been on a podcast myself and one of the things is you hate your voice or you're like, oh, it's not perfect or, you know, you can really be critical because it is yourself. Mm. How do you overcome that in in students or are they more um, straightforward and they just get it done? Well, some of them do. Yeah. Some of them. Some of them just get, you know, they go with it and they're used to it. They kind of, they've heard their own, they've seen themselves making videos and the like. Yeah. Um, for others, it's a bit more of a stretch. And I just encourage students to kind of, you know, well, I first use my own example. You know, I have a lisp and every um, every time I hear myself back, I get surprised. Yeah. And wow. I say, oh, I have a lisp because I don't hear it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I tell the students that and I repeat repeat this story to them and say, you know, you always sound different to yes. when you hear yourself back. So, it, yeah, you speak with an accent. Big deal. Everybody does. Yeah. But the other thing I try and tell the students from an industry point of view, yeah. if you listen to, you know, if you went back into Australian radio or television back in the um, 1960s and even yeah. into the 1970s, Everyone spoke with received pronunciation. It was that very Middle England kind of way of speaking. And I said, you yeah. listen to BBC radio or Australian radio now, and you will hear all sorts of accents. And, I, and the one other thing, I always see them to both the BBC because you'll hear all the regional accents. And right. That, that this is actually what we want. We want that authenticity. People yes. do not buy that if it's kind of, if it sounds affected and that um, actorly performance that, that yeah. you know, we get. So that's kind of the reality of the media now. So Yeah. I love that, the authenticity around it, because and I suppose we're seeing that in social media as well. People go onto it because they like as authentic as it can be, but people's stories and their narrative and that it's authentic to them. So that's great to hear that you're doing that because that's a sort of, I suppose, an unintended outcome or it could be an intended outcome from doing things like podcasting and building that confidence and showing that change over time as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's yeah. the thing, you know, social media has changed our listening and viewer habits and our yeah. the grammar that goes within them, our expectations yes. and get yeah. as an audience too. Do you embed that within the journalism um, stream or social media? Do you take that up at all? Or is it more looking at um, like things like flip and way you, ways you can produce um, different outcomes, I suppose? Yeah. So I, that's something I do talk about with so I do I do use a sort of more traditional story format in terms yep. of so I basically the, with pod, podcasting and the kinds of stories I'm expecting I base it off what Radio National put out on their sort of magazine style shows because just because it's right. a very clear structure that they yeah. have and it's a really easy structure to work with but what I start to tell students both with video and audio is that the way in which that these, um, you know, the way in which we are producing and seeing video now, mm. even on shows like 7.30 and the news, they are more and more influenced by the visual grammar of YouTube. Um, yeah. And they, they kind of, some of that informality is creeping back into broadcast television. But I also yeah. encourage the students, so for example, with video, um, to, you know, they, they've got cameras that they can go and borrow from yep. the media store. Uh, if they can't get to them, and again, this goes for cloud students, then mm-hmm. hey, they've got a broadcast quality camera in their pocket mm-hmm. most of them. Because, and, if, and that's no joke either. You yes. look at what CNN are using now and what the ABC regional and rural are actually training their journalists to use iPhones. Sure, it's wow. the top of the line on the iPhone. Yeah. But they're actually getting that picture 
yeah. from an iPhone and putting it up to a satellite uplink box. Now, the, the, the key thing though is, is to get, uh, and this is the thing I really stress to students, is the sound quality of an old phone is going to be awful because um, mm -hmm. it's designed for making phone calls. But yes. you know, they're reasonably cheap, and I reckon under about 50 bucks, um, lavalier mic, and they get get really good audio as well. So um, that's the, that's kind of the world we're living in, that the, yes. the broadcast industry is now adopting wow. the very same tools that vloggers and yes. the social and social media content creators are using as well. So it's trying to get students ready for that world as well. Mm. Isn't it great that it is accessible, well, more accessible than it was before? Because I know even myself um, being in this industry for a while, when we started doing filming, like there were big setups and you couldn't even imagine having that phone in your pocket that could do some audio or some video um, quality that was done, you know, 15 years ago now, but how much time has changed and that that is accessible for students and um, they can bring that into their world of work as well. Absolutely. And, you know, like the, with audio, I remember, you know, it wasn't so long ago, about 10 years ago, that mm. if you did an interview on the ABC, they wanted you ideally at South Bank in, a, in the TARDIS, in mm. a soundproof box. Um, and if you couldn't do that, they wanted you on a landline in a quiet office. Well, yep. I did a whole lot of interviews last year, last year on the ABC. And yep. they, they get you to download an app on your phone called um, Tyline, Tyline. Yep. And uh, yep. that patches, and you just use the headphones that you get with your device. And I think they've done that so they can, they've got to know what they're, how they're engineered. Yep. And you do the interview via that. They patch you into the studio. They work out the sound levels. So now, and, and other interviews I've done have been on Skype. So and the other part of this is video increasingly, you know, if you watch um, news programs, they're doing interviews like this. And mm. the trick comes for students, it's not the it's not so much the equipment that is the barrier. It's how do you tell stories in a compelling way? That becomes the real skill. And how do you coach your talent, your interviewee, to set up their camera so you know they're not kind of like chins kind of like cut off or something like that, you know, like right. you know, yeah. So that becomes the trick of how do you get students to actually get the interviewee. Um, to kind of set up their, their setting at the other end right. so that it's usable in your interview. So it's so much more, and we know this even in learning design, like it's so much more than the tool itself, but you're talking about the, the storytelling, the pitching and what that looks like and the whole taking a holistic approach versus just saying, oh, let's just use Audacity or let's look at this video. Um, and hopefully you can give me some tips after this for me, but... Um, <laughs> Um, I suppose looking at the different things that you've implemented, you talked about Flip, um, you talked about Audacity embedding um, video and um, podcasting, talking about audio and how um, podcasting's changed over time. What has been the biggest challenge implementing different tools such as these uh, in your teaching and learning? I think to make sure the students are getting the learning outcome, so they're not just yep. sort of playing with a tool for the sake of playing with a tool. Because I think, you know, we, and I, I know myself, I get kind of distracted by the next shiny thing mm. um, to kind of, you know, work out. And I think there's also a risk as well in doing that. Whenever you take something up, mm. uh, ask you if you're going to get the learning outcome that you kind of want them to get. Yes. Um, but then it, you always get surprised as well, where they sort of do something with a, with a tool that you hadn't thought of. Mm -hmm. um, 
kind of go, oh, you could actually do that as well. So, you know, I think that's kind of the thing. But luckily, I think the other the other thing about this is trying to sort of do that vetting for them to introduce yes. them to things which they're going to be used, that it's going to be useful for them in industry um, and to get a really good result in their assignment. Like, I mean, yes. production yes. result, you know, a really good yes. outcome out and I think what you're saying around that industry when you're linking it to that like that's powerful in itself and even that portfolio of evidence being able to go out into industry and say this is what I've done um, although it can be challenging initially but at least it's linking to either a learning outcome but also that um, that work uh, the industry-based outcomes as well yeah and the other the other challenge I think you have with it is sort of thinking particularly in in journalism and you know when you're trying to tell factual stories is potential ethical implications. So for example, there is a fantastic tool out there which you can freely use mm. um, called Adobe Shasta, Project Shasta, S-H-A-S-T-A. And basically you can sign in with your Deacon credentials. And mm. what it does, it's an AI that you can upload some audio that you've mm. recorded you know, out on the street with lots of background noise. You can upload it, the AI goes through it and it takes strips off all the background noise and then gives wow. you a clean audio. Now, I did, I've done a little a few experiments and so wind, it can deal with, but it's not great. But mm. if you're in a, a, you know, like recording in a noisy place, say you've got, and I did it at my daughter's basketball game with lots mm. of balls being bounced and multiple courts and kids screaming. And I yeah. just recorded some audio and the after it took it all off and it, all you could hear was my voice. And so I, I tell the students about this because it basically gives you a studio anywhere. You can record anywhere pretty much yep. and, and then put it and strip all the background noise out. It's absolutely amazing. But then when you're thinking about factual storytelling, it's like there's an ethical issue that it comes up with that where you sort of think, actually, is that is that what actually happened? And so I have to, you know, you have to tell your students, okay, uh, well, if you're doing your own narration and voiceover, which you would do in a studio, <laughs> fine yep. if you're doing an interview mm, not so sure about that <laughs> it's a really interesting point that you bring up around that ethical consideration and um, reflecting the authenticity going back to authenticity what you were mentioning before about that as well so that's some food for thought but um, some very good points I suppose there's some challenges what is the biggest benefits you've seen uh, you implementing this type of technology in your teaching oh I, I think there's more up, upside than down i think yeah you know i mean even being able to embed um sorry youtube clips and um and podcasts within teaching you know online teaching spaces mm -hmm. in deacon i mean things like that are just wonderful because you can actually you know it's not just oh, i'll tell you about this podcast and go and listen to it i'll tell you about it and here it is here and it you is. Can, even sort of you know cut down the bit that you want so i can you know do a little exercise for students in video journalism mm -hmm. where um i go and show how many shots are in a uh you know three minute user news package and you can just go and you, I, i've got tools in you know video editing tools which will break it down shot by shot yeah and, and then you can spit out and you can say well look this this was 30 seconds long and there were um, however many shots making that up so you can really bring it you can really kind of be, have that example for students it's not just me telling you you will need about this yeah. amount of video in order to make it have a look at this thing that went to air on channel nine uh, yeah. and count the number of shots and it counts it on the screen for you um, wow. and 
students. So it's kind of things like that, which are kind of, it's just that demonstration and have yes. a listen to this podcast. This this is listen and you can tell students to listen out for things, listen to the the rapport between the co-hosts on this. Yeah. That's something you might want to, you know, emulate, mimic, take with you in your, when you're thinking about your own podcast. So that yeah. sort of thing, yeah. And then that goes back again to industry practice, like looking at what people are doing and every podcast, you know, is different, you know, different and uh, different news channels are different. What do you align to? What are you trying? What message are you trying to get across? And actually looking at people. I know I like to listen to people that, um, you know, I don't necessarily align with to think, okay, well, how are they doing things differently, you know, and um, yeah, get different ideas that. So it's interesting that you're embedding that into your teaching and learning, which sounds awesome as well. The wonderful thing about that yep. also is that when students actually create this content of then having their their examples as yeah. you know with the, with the students' permission, you know I've got a couple of um, assignments from last year that I'm using yep. this year in podcasting and audio journalism and showing this is what last year's students did. You know, here's yep. three stories which were fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, you can kind of actually show show the students see this is what's possible. And when you've got really great content and you can say yep. this is not this is not, not this is what's possible. They did this during the pandemic. Yes. <laughs> so, so you get those sort of inspirational stories. Yeah. I can imagine that would be really powerful because it's a peer. It's not saying, oh, well, they're they're expert at that. They're in industry. They've been doing it for years. They know they, they know how to do it. But you're showing that, okay, this is a student who was in your shoes last year and this is the outcomes that are possible. So I can imagine that would be very powerful and empowering to students to hear that and to listen to it and to hear someone else's story. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, I suppose other teaching and learning teams will be listening to this and they would want to implement different tools in their teaching and learning. Have you got any advice for um, other teaching and learning teams that would be looking at maybe implementing podcasting, which is a hot topic at the moment, um, or any other tools into their teaching and learning? I guess the, um, go with a, a sense of experiment, experimentation mm -hmm. and expect that you're not going to get the, the result, you know, first up, but although you no might way. surprise yourself. Because I certainly found that with Flip, I wasn't at all sure it was going to work with the cohort mm -hmm. that I was going to use it with. And it turned out it was kind of the, the easiest thing. So I think the other thing is to trust your students as well. And I, I, the other thing I'd say is that I think a lot of, um, as academics, we're often kind of a bit skittish about kind of using these things because we don't necessarily use them. But I think the thing to remember is that many of our students have been using these platforms often in a highly informal way. Mm -hmm. uh, and these many many years and they've kind of become part of it i hate the word phrase digital natives because i think that is absolutely rubbish um but they often come with a mindset of yeah. um of kind of using and kind of familiarity with these so i think that you know you kind of you can trust with that and you'll always get students who are kind of far more tentative than others yes um and really don't want to go with them. But I just think, you know, go with that sense of experimentation and, you know, um, and then be prepared to then refi refine and refine and get better at it. Well, that's project cycle, isn't it? Like iterate it and move forward with it. So some really great points. So I'd really like to thank you, time. Thank you for your time, um, Chris. It's been really insightful in what you're doing. And I love hearing about how you're using industry to inform your teaching and learning practices and integrating tools holistically versus just saying, let's do it because it's new and shiny, as you mentioned earlier. So thank you for your time today. And I look forward to seeing some of the outputs. Cool. Thanks and some advice. Yeah. <laughs>
Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.